There are so many beautiful pictures in the Bible. David talks about a shepherd and the sheep. Jesus talks about a father who has two sons and then later says, I howled like a mother hen. I wish I could gather you like chicks around me. David talks about a deer and a stream. Jesus talks about living water, a waterfall. And then, of course, there's that lovely picture of the dog returning to its vomit. doesn't seem to fit. It's almost striking in its contrast to the other beautiful pictures in Scripture. But I believe that's because it is meant to be striking. It's not a pretty picture to make the same mistake over and over and over again. Peter talks to us about that and basically, I think, tells us two things. The first is this, that to make the same mistake over and over again is just just not very smart. It's not very bright. I thought about that because we have two dogs, and, and one of them has been known on occasion to return to her vomit and eat it. And when she does, the children don't say, oh, Dad, look how smart Sally is. They never say that because it's just not smart. So it's not an intelligent thing to make the same mistake over and over again. Did you see the film of the guy during Tropical Storm uh, Faith who was kiteboarding and out there in the big wind, got picked up by the wind and uh, taken some distance and slammed into a wall? Now, the good news is that uh, he is uh, doing well and has some injury but, but will get better. The bad news is you got the sense that his mother didn't think he had learned the lesson when they interviewed her on TV. If that, if that guy is out kiteboarding in the next tropical depression, he's not very smart. It's not very smart to make the same mistake over and over again. And then Peter reminds us not only that, but it leaves us worse off than before. Because you know actions, whether they are positive or negative, if you do them often enough, they become habits. And eventually the habit becomes the pattern of your life. Do you want your life pattern to be that of making the same error over and over again? Most of us do not. So here's what I want to do for a few minutes this morning. I want to walk you through what I try to do in my life to uh, make new mistakes and not to make the same one over and over and over. There sort of four steps that I go through in my life. The first one is this, and that is when I'm making a mistake more than once, it's important to recognize that I'm making it. It's important to admit it. Now, that may seem like a no-brainer, but you'd be amazed at how many people refuse to admit that something they've done more than once that's had very negative consequences is wrong. You'd be amazed at how difficult it is for people to admit that they've made a mistake. But what denial does is denial preserves and protects your way of acting. And so if you, if you don't admit the mistake, you're never going to get around to correcting it. So the first thing is simply to name it and say, that was wrong, that was a mistake. That's something I do not want to do again. Now, one of the ways Christians do this is by what we call confession. Coming to God and saying, this was wrong, this was a mistake, I don't want to do this again. Uh, confession is, is very significant. Uh, Donald will be talking about it more uh, in October in, in a passage from James, but, but you saw it this morning, not only on the screen, uh, but you heard it in, or read it in Psalm 51, the, the importance of saying to God, I made a mistake. And so I encourage you, when you've made a mistake, to confess that before God. I encourage you to uh, confess it very specifically. The more specifically I name my mistake, the less likely I am to repeat it. 
If I just go before God and say, well, I haven't been a very good husband, I'm not going to make the adjustment that needs to be made in the way that I relate with my wife and family. But if I can name exactly the way in which I wasn't a good husband, then I've got a chance of avoiding that behavior for the future. I also think it's important to find a human being to confess to as well. And I, you have to be real careful on this one. The first is that we live in an age where a lot of people just like to get on TV and confess to Spring or Oprah, you know, stand on the couch and jump up and down and, and yell about whatever in their life. And, and that's not what I'm talking about. And we also live in an age where some people uh, will choose someone to confess to because they know it'll simply make no difference to that person. They probably won't hear it. You may have read uh, Frank McCourt's uh, account of growing up Irish Catholic, Angela's Ashes. And in that, you may recall, he said that he walked all the way across town to find a priest deaf enough and old enough to pay no attention to what he was going to confess. He figured it was a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, we want to avoid those two mistakes. But I have found it appropriate if I can tell another human being. Now, you're going to have to find this person carefully. They should be someone who is uh, trusted. Now, you don't do it so that you can be forgiven. When you confess to God, that seals that. But often people don't experience forgiveness. They, they kind of know it up here, but it doesn't get to their heart. And I find one way it gets to the heart is by confessing to a trusted Christian friend. So just start. When you make a mistake, admit it, recognize it, uh, confess it. The second thing is uh, once you've done that, I think it's helpful to reflect on the mistake. And, and the two questions I ask myself are, are when and why. In other words, when am I making this mistake? What are the circumstances that seem to always uh, show up that lead me to that particular uh, error? And, and one of the things I've found in my own life is that often uh, where I fall into error is when I have uh, expectations of other people uh, that, partic- that aren't particularly uh, maybe fair or appropriate or they're at least, in the words of Dr. Fred Luskin, unenforceable. You know, what you expect of other people, you, you can't make them you can't make them do. And, and I've found that often I get into trouble with other people because I have certain expectations of them and they don't deliver those expectations, which leads me to uh, act out in frustration or at least hold some anger inside um, in a very passive-aggressive manner. I've also learned that one of the things I have is the ability to have unfair expectations of myself. And I know when that situation uh, happens, I'll end up in in some sort of feeling guilty about it. So ask yourself, when are these things happening, and then why? And and that's something I'm exploring um, with God, and I think we all want to explore when we get the when as to why is it, why am I acting this way, why what need is going on, what what am I lacking, Um, and begin to pray through that with a good and loving God. Now be careful. Because it is possible that some sort of guilt will enter into the picture here as you're reflecting on your mistake. And I'm coached by Paul who said there's a godly sorrow and then there's a worldly sorrow. And Paul says a worldly sorrow doesn't get you anywhere. It just makes you feel worse. But a godly sorrow will lead you to repentance. So as you confess before God and then reflect with God on why this is happening, uh, what seems to align that causes this to happen, and make sure that you're not hearing any condemnation because if you hear a voice of condemnation, you can be sure it's not God's voice. That's some other voice uh, speaking to you. But then you want to move on because godly sorrow leads to repentance. Then the third thing I want to do once I've recognized Uh, the mistake I'm making, I've reflected on why I'm making it. The third thing is I want to repent. I don't want to make that same uh, mistake. And the Bible uses this word repentance so many times, but 
you need to know the word picture behind it. You probably already do know. Repent is to change direction 180 degrees. So if I'm walking this way and I turn around and walk back the other way, in the Bible, that's repentance. So this really helps me. When I am in a position where I am tempted or the, the situation is right that I might make the same mistake I've made before, what I want to do is not just not make the mistake. I want to do the opposite. I want to do the opposite. That's what repentance is. It's a 180-degree turn. I find that it's not enough just to, to resist, though it's helpful, the, the mistake. It's more helpful to me to repent and just go the other direction. And so if I'm in a situation where I'm tempted to feel bad about an expectation that I haven't met for someone else, I want to turn and I'll even find a way to congratulate myself for not meeting that expectation. How wise that was of me or how energy-consuming that was of me. I want to make that complete turn. I love what... Uh, Uh, one writer says about this. She says, if you were on a bandwagon to hell, wouldn't you jump off and shoot the tires? I think that's a great picture. A lot of us will jump off and say, no, I don't want to make that mistake. I don't want to make that mistake. But the bandwagon still goes, and we find that we're back on it again. So let's shoot the tires so it can't come back around again. And one of the ways I shoot the tires is to try to do the opposite. A 180-degree turn from the mistake that I have been making. And then finally, all of this should be done in what I call a spirit of receiving. We should receive the grace and love and forgiveness of God. I think about this. Um, if, if I had a wound, would I want myself to take the scalpel and go after it, or would I want my father, who's a physician and a surgeon? I think I'll give him the scalpel. Now, he may cut a little deeper, but he's going to cut cleaner. If I am left to wounds that are emotional in my life, I tend to pick at them. They tend to get infected. They tend to get worse. I need to give the scalpel to the divine physician, the great healer, and let him in his love work with me on this mistake. And you always work in an environment of forgiveness, knowing that John is completely accurate when John says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and true and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Put the scalpel in God's hand. Let the operating room be the environment of love rather than the guilt that I tend to operate out of myself when I'm holding it in my own hand. Know that there is nothing, according to Paul, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing that you have done or failed to do separates you from God's love. And this is the, the pose and this is the position that we need to take when we're dealing with our mistakes to know that none of them separate us from God and they're all forgiven in Christ. I'm reminded of a story uh, from 1993, a very sad story about a two-year-old James Bulger. Two-year-old James Bulger uh, was a victim. A couple of older children for sport and spite pushed him in the front of a subway train in London. The results were predictable, and they were tragic. But nobody saw what happened. And though the police suspected two older boys, they couldn't get a confession from either one of them. One boy was there in the interrogation room, and the police left, and his father came in. And his father sat down across from him and said, I want you to know this. I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. There's nothing you can do or have done that will ever change that. Father walked out. 
the police walked in, and softly and tearfully, the young boy confessed to the crime. Love is the only atmosphere, the only environment in which we should practice confession. Now, this boy's confession, of course, did not lead to his physical freedom. And that's the great news that we have. Our confession always leads us to freedom.